0: Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Muscle Intelligence Podcast. I'm your host, Ben Bukowski. We frame this podcast around living your greatest life in a body that you love. And the way your mind and body integrate has become perhaps my greatest area of interest. Um, Following that down the path, how do we do that? How do we create this mind and body that are in peace, that are in harmony, that are in synergy, then allow us to access our greatest self? What does our greatest self mean? In my eyes, it means accessing who I am at my soul. What is my soul telling me to do in this life? Who am I at the level of being? And that's not necessarily thinking and doing, it's very different than thinking and doing. And going through and understanding the psychology of the human mind, ultimately as it integrates into sport, is the primary focus of today's conversation. So whether you're someone who's a coach, an athlete, or just someone who's looking to optimize your life, you're gonna to love today's conversation with Adam Fight the head of sport and exercise psychology from Precision Nutrition. Adam just recently finished his PhD in sport and exercise psychology, and he's a brilliant man. He's also spent a lot of time coaching uh, at the NFL level, at the college level, and uh, he's also a dad, so he gets it. He gets how life sometimes gets in the way. We have a brilliant conversation that's incredibly helpful around strategies to help change our focus, to help change the way our mind uh, comes with us throughout the day. And if you're not already um, applying a mindfulness practice and not if you're going through periods of stress right now, like many of us in the world are, create an awareness for yourself to break that habit. And hopefully this podcast can do that for you. If you're someone who sometimes goes down those negative spirals, I hope to be an anchor for you of positivity, an anchor of hope to realize that you can... Also live your highest and best you too deserve to live in your greatness because you have greatness inside of you We all do and the reason sometimes we don't feel like we we have it is because we're living out of alignment with it We're living in other people's values If you're living in other someone else's values, you're always going to feel disconnected from yourself You're always going to feel anxious and inadequate because you're not Living in alignment with who you are at your soul level um, and we get into that just a little bit today as far as how to start approaching living your highest and best. Today's podcast is brought to you by, by Optimizers, my favorite enzymes, my favorite magnesium on the planet, Mag Breakthrough, my favorite enzymes, mass enzymes. You guys have heard me talk about it a thousand times before, and they've been a long time sponsor of the podcast because, you got to think about the logic here, because a lot of our audience is actually purchasing it. They're getting an ROI. Our audience continues to purchase it, because it's such a great product. And I know you guys are all gonna love Mass Zymes and BiOptimizer's Breakthrough, Mag Breakthrough is I think the best uh, magnesium on the market. They've also got some other very specific products. They've got the P3OM, which is a proteolytic um, probiotic. They've got the CapX, which is a um, ketogenic assistance supplement, meaning it's gonna help you break down and absorb and utilize ultimately more of your ketones and more of your fats. And they've also just developed a new nootropic, which I'm gonna tell you guys about in coming weeks. And I'm super excited about that. Um, Guys, head over to buyoptimizers.com and use the code MUSCLE10 to get hooked up with 10% off. Yes, this code is still good till the end of the year. So get out there and use it now because You don't know how long these codes are going to be around. I highly suggest you guys get on the monthly recurring because it is a product you're going to love. You're going to want magnesium is the type of thing where I'm using about six to seven of them a day, one to two times a day. So I'll either split it into one dose. And the mass is something that I'll use anytime I take a meal containing meat, which is usually every time I eat, I'm going to have some enzymes. And if I feel myself as as being slightly inflamed or slightly rigid, I feel tight, whether it be at the muscles or the joints, I'll throw in a handful of mass which really drops my inflammatory markers and allows me to ultimately function better mentally and physically. Enjoy the podcast with Adam Feit, sport and exercise
1: psych PhD, Adam Fight, Welcome to the podcast. Hey, Ben, I appreciate the opportunity to join you today and chat more. Thanks for the opportunity again. Uh, man, absolutely. My pleasure and my
0: honor. And I am a massive um, student of behavior change and understanding the, this reality that I've worked with Certainly thousands of clients in my life, given them all an amazing nutrition plan, at least to the best of my ability, an amazing workout plan to the best of my ability. You you still have people who fall through the cracks and and can't stick to a plan. And you know, over the last probably five or six years for me, I've really been diving deep into understanding how I can support these people more effectively. Right. It's like, mm-hmm. I, if, if someone signs up with me, I want to have, have a hundred percent track record. And that that's like a badge of honor. I wear um, half the time. I'm calling people in the middle of the night and make sure they're doing what they need to do, or, you know, call them at obscure hours of the day to support them and went through their challenges. Um, and so the inter- the idea of um, behavior change and the psychology of behavior change uh, is incredibly interesting to me. And I think there's so much that still needs to be learned, which is why I'm so glad to bring an expert on like yourself. I'd love to have you kind of start walking down the path of some of the discoveries you've made. You said you've got some things that are fresh in your mind.
1: Yeah, it's really, I guess now more than ever, in a time that we're living in, there's there's so much change happening. And I think it's, it's fitting to talk about this in today's day and age because as we know, as experts in health and fitness, right, the only thing that is going to be constant is change. And as we continually evolve as humans and as coaches and and what we try to provide for our clients, it's important to understand that like many things, it's not a linear process and what we've picked up through you know studying other aspects of psychology and using techniques like motivational interviewing and and looking at these counseling disciplines but also the real data that we have as coaches as practitioners and educators is that it's really going to be a process that if the coach and the client or the coach and the athlete in my instance working with kids are committed to the ups and downs to the trials and tribulations to guiding them towards more self-discovery we're not only going to see a more lasting and meaningful change, but we're going to see something that is inherently valuable to them on, on such a deep level. And that's something that we really try to talk about at PN and, and through our programs and certification and our education is that for many of us, we can muster up the willpower to do something for a short period of time. Right. I think that the fitness industry itself has built itself on those types of things. We're heading into the holidays now as we're recording, right? So we've got the six week challenge here. We've got the 10 week challenge here. We've got the countdown to New Year, wherever it might be. But that may work in the short term. If you have the right support, if you have the right environment, if you have the right mindset for that, but at PN, we always talk about, Hey, okay, that's great for right now. But how do we continue to have that change occur? something that's more sustainable, but also that's not going to backfire on us as well as our clients. So it is an interesting dialogue to have, not only with hosts like yourself, but also family members, right? (laughs) Talking about the thing that they just changed and actually digging into what they believe, why they believe that, and how we can almost challenge those assumptions. Because at the end of the day, we all care deeply for becoming better versions of ourselves. That's a phrase that I'll say a lot. And it's important to, to open that up for discussion to occur. Yeah. So
0: it sounds like, and you know, I'd love to correct me if I'm wrong. It sounds like this is a conversation you encourage coaches to have right in the beginning. It's like uh, you, you said kind of setting almost what it sounded like, setting expectations that, hey, there's going to be challenges. There's going to be ups mm-hmm. and downs. We're going to anticipate those, but I'm also going to Uh, equip you with the resources and the thought process and whatever you need ultimately to support to move your way through these, these ups and downs. So are you, are you literally having that conversation with a
1: client or an athlete in the beginning and having them anticipate that before they happen? I am. Yeah. And I'm glad you brought that up because we want to be very, I won't say selective of who we work with, but we also, it's more so, do they truly understand what it's going to take? And let's take, for instance, holiday weight gain, right? We know that most of the weight gain that happens in a short period of time isn't going to be completely fat. So it's, it's having that conversation of like, okay, if this happens, what what's going to stem from that? I want to be very clear as a coach, especially with my clients or the coaches I work with, that everything is accounted for it's it's really this 360 degree of support because we don't want to get to a point later on in the process where you start finding yourself kind of backed into a corner well you said this or my cousin said this or my neighbor's barbers sisters dentist had done something similar and nothing had happened right so for us in inside this coaching process it's really laying out those expectations and not forcing down the the realities and the truths for that, because I think that's a valuable part of the coaching process itself, is helping them get to that point where they actually say, wow, he was right, she was right, they were right, whatever it might be, but I had to go through that on my own. So kind of bring it around full circle. Absolutely, I think it's important for any health and fitness professional to say, hey, these are my core values, these are my guidelines, this is how I coach, because that's part of the rapport building process. But it's also important to say they're not going to be on the level you want them to be at right away. You're going to meet them where they are at. And that's a that's a founding principle of our coaching method is meet them where they're at, because it is going to take a longer time for some clients compared to others based on the years of information that they've taken in, based on who they're talking to and really based on the support that they have or don't have. So So. it's crucial.
0: One question for you as, as a sport
1: psych uh, PhD,
0: are you also looking at neuroscience or neurochemistry of this? Like uh, my brain goes to creating almost like um, avatars on some mm-hmm. level, right? Is like, what, what is your genetic and your your phenotypic or, uh, expression? What does your predisposition say about how you're, how you're going to run into or anticipate these problems? Is that something you, you look at at all?
1: For me, personally, not yet. We do have experts on our team that, you know, Dr. Krista Scott Dixon have brought in that that study more in the cognitive piece of, you know, the operations of the brain and how that affects. And, and we'll dive in, we'll ex- what we call like explore the edges with, you know, counseling techniques. However, but we can't dismiss exactly what's happening there, right? Because there are, as we know, the brain is going to be you know, the the central governor model and there's a theory about that about controlling everything and whatnot but of how people are perceiving thoughts how those are affecting the feelings and those are the actions accordingly yeah. so we can't dismiss that uh, as just like it's not a big deal because you may have the discipline you may have the willpower and I'm using these buzzword terms because this these are the things that our clients bring to us. But if there's something not right on that higher level and whether that's cognitive thinking skills, whether that's prioritization or whether that's simply the the physiological processes that are happening behind the scenes, that has to be addressed. So for us, it's about how can we create this deep health high performance support team? And that might include a, a primary care that specializes in that area. It might include a counselor. It might include a sports psychology or mental performance coach like myself, as well as the nutrition coaches included.
0: I mean, I'm just curious how much like that, that psychology aspect ties into the neuro, the neurophysiology, the neurochemistry of it, right? Mm-hmm. Like at, at your level and in studying in, in university and PhDs, um, have you, have you drawn any, or have you ever looked and saw any correlations? Cause we hear of people, you know, these people have, discipline and willpower and, and you know, strong personalities, success-oriented personalities. And then other people just sometimes have a really hard time succeeding. Um, yeah, that, so that was kind of where I was going. Is like, is there some neurochemical, neurophysiological neurophysi- predispositions that you've ever seen there?
1: Yeah, I, I can't talk to it at a, at a great length, but, you know, from the research that have, have come across my digital desk, so to speak, as we're writing the curriculum, right, we do know that there are some individuals that have, uh, different predispositions to how certain neurotransmitters work, right? So we often think of like the dopamine hits that people often get from crossing off to-do lists, right? And and we know it's 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 much more nuanced than just simply that. But you know we do have people that are, are affected by that, whether that's a sensitivity to dopamine and and the. Processes of serotonin, all of these different aspects that are happening in that decision making process. Sure. Uh, Once you start tying in all the interconnected systems between uh, physiology, between psychology, neurobiology, and all of these ologies. Now, all of a sudden, when we're talking about behavior change, it's not a matter of, well, how come they just won't do it? it really takes a a deeper lens and a a thinner comb, so to speak, to analyze what could be happening behind the scenes. So, you know, in our program, yeah, we've got some case studies about certain different, uh, there could be genetic conditions that are affecting their decision-making, right? Uh, We know that through other aspects of maybe attention deficit disorders, that's going to affect uh, how people perceive things, whether that's a degree of difficulty, as well as the tasks that they choose. So there, there's definitely an element and an arm or an appendage of that being explored. And that's important for coaches to understand that that research is out there. Uh, but also to understand what what is your scope as a as a practicing coach. Cool. Uh, sorry to pull you off track. I just thought that was interesting because um, you know, sometimes it's very obvious. Um,
0: some people's personality, everyone's personality expresses in different ways. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, I'm just curious if there was any kind of correlation that you'd seen in the
1: past, but I'll let you get back on track. Well, I will I will say this uh, because we've got some of the references pulled up from our latest project. I'll follow up with you on a couple of papers that did come across that. Uh, thankfully, we have some deeper dive experts that were brought onto the team. So uh, that'll, that should satisfy the, the sweet tooth for some of that neuroscience stuff.
0: Yeah, it's 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 definitely an area of interest for me, and I'm always just curious how much neuroscience is determining psychology, right? So, um, again, I don't know. Like, that's why I thought I'd throw that, that question out at you. It seems to me like there's got to be some overarching significant influence on the way we think just based on the way your body is either sensitive or insensitive to certain neurotransmitters and, and neurochemicals and neuromodulators.
1: Yeah, and when we – I mean, if it – comes down like is it is it the chicken or the egg right what mm-hmm. what comes first uh that's something that i've seen in my work in sports psychology you know when we we start borrowing models from like cognitive behavior therapy where we're you know our thoughts affecting feelings our feelings affecting thoughts where do my actions come into play is it a two way street is it only a one way street and so Uh, what I'm physically doing, what is that a direct result of? Uh, That could be the thoughts that I'm thinking, but is that causing the cascade of events from what I'm feeling and how the emotions are coming to play, right? So back to a little bit of the neuro stuff, right? In terms of like the limbic system and the the emotional chair, the seat of our brain, um, how is this being affected, right? How does the amygdala uh, interplay with some of the decisions or the threats that we perceive or the things that we perceive to be a threat? Uh, now more than ever, right? We we can joke about millions and millions of years ago. You know that threat was the the rustling in the bush, right? Was it a saber toothed cat? But now that perceived threat might be, am I within six feet of somebody, right? And so it's it's amazing to see how that has evolved with where we are right now. But threats are threats. We we te- we naturally have a tendency to look for the negative in a situation because we want to protect, you know, who we are and what we're about. So it, it is a rabbit hole among rabbit holes. That is, it's now that I'm at, like finished with my degree, everybody's like, oh, that's great. Like now you're at this level. And I'm like, yeah, now I'm at the bottom of another abyss <laughs> and I have to climb myself out of it because it's, you really realize how much you don't know once you get to that level. So right. I'm excited for the next chapter and you know, not have to worry about taking classes. I can go out there and dig on my own. So to well, that, that brings
0: up a question for me. What problem are you trying to solve?
1: <laughs> oh, me personally, or is this yeah. a... Yeah, yeah. yeah. You,
0: you, well, so you're saying you've done your PhD, you've solved that yeah. problem, right? So you, you've solved the problem of one, getting the PhD, solving this a very specific problem to get the PhD. Now it opens up this world of opportunity to go. Well, now I can actually study what I want in any direction, in any capacity, no restrictions. What is so? What is the the problem you're going to solve?
1: Yeah, I, I love that, Ben. Thank you for asking. Where I no pressure, <laughs> not. Oh, but here's the here's the best part. I don't think there is any pressure because at this level you truly get to specialize in the something that is most enjoyable to you. And obviously with the support of your advisors and your committee and whatnot that truly believe in you. Okay. And I was very grateful to have the support of precision nutrition because I originally got into it. I'm like, Oh, maybe I can do some of the you know, habit compliance and we can talk about how to make our clients more consistent with behavior change. And we can use all these data points, but at the end of the day, they are like, do what brings you the most joy. And yeah. I had been a you know, I've been a strength condition coach for over 15 years. And the problem I'm hoping to solve in the new research that I'm creating is I want to fill the gap. I want the the bridge to be closed between what we do as coaches and how that ultimately transfers to our athletes' performance. Now, for many, many years, we have typically relied on, and by saying we, I mean any type of coach, personal trainer, body architect, performance enhancement specialist, whatever we're calling ourselves these days, we rely a lot on the physical attributes or the development of these characteristics, right? How can I get them stronger? How can I get them faster? How can I get them more mobile, agile, stable, et cetera? That can only take us so far. And what I was able to see through originally some, some survey research and then applying that into a deeper dive of coaching behaviors was, We focus so much on the physical preparation. We focus so much on the technical preparation. What about the mental preparation for our clients? And this goes hand in hand with nutrition coaching because, you know, you've interviewed incredible guests. And I think uh, maybe a common theme that has been threaded through all of those conversations is that it's hardly ever about just the food, right? It's not about the simplicity of I ate too many grams of X or I drank too many ounces of wine, or uh, at the end of the day, I just wasn't in balance, or I wasn't in a deficit, et cetera. Right? We know by thermodynamics, sure, that might be the case. But why are they making the decisions that they're making? Why are they influenced by the situations that are around them? And so for me in coaching, especially in physical performance was, are we truly doing the best we can as a coach? Or are we just falling victim to the mode of I'm overworked, I don't have enough time, I'm going to stick to my bread and butter of coaching and yelling and whistling and screaming and, and writing Excel templates, or can I bring something else to the table? Because I think now more than ever, as coaches, we can't get by with what we used to do. We are evolving. Our clients are evolving. If you're working with athletes or kids, their parents are evolving because they want more. And that's, that's incredibly important. Just like you can't just be a personal trainer. Your clients want more than that. And as a field we've got to get better
0: one thing that i see and i'm sure you'll you'll get this is what i'm seeing in in sports performance in sports psychology is the leveling of the playing field right 10 10 years ago 20 years ago the elite athletes were the ones that not only had the physical prowess but could take the greatest mental beating and could just persist and now you have this kind of second tier level of athlete coming through who maybe isn't as physically gifted maybe isn't as mentally tough but with great coaching and with great um, training and with great nutrition, we level the playing field. So Mm -hmm. is the high, is the high end getting better? Maybe, but I think the mean is moving, right? It's like, I I really believe that, you know, the guy who used to be in sixth and he could never get there before now he has the opportunity. There's so many levers that we can pull that we know about now. Like you can compete with the best guys in the world that I think that's one of the most empowering thoughts that exist as a human being it's like, hey, I'm not as genetically blessed as that guy. But if I do this, 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 and this exponentially better than he does, I can compete. And that's, I think, awesome. And that sounds like it's kind of where you're going.
1: Yeah. And I, I love the the choice of words there when you say, I can compete with them. Because I learned early on, right, we're we're very, in coaching, we're very famous for like our one-liners, like our go-getters. And it's, you know, the t-shirt slogans where you see something like hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard, Right. right so when you first originally hear that you're like all right hard work beats talent only when talent doesn't decide to work hard Mm -hmm. depending on your culture depending on the program you're part of that could be a one-time thing or that could be an all-time thing but how you phrase it is so eloquently put because now we have access to all of these resources more than ever our administrators our power five schools let's say in in division one in the states right They are providing these elements of, okay. today's athlete, today's high performer is more than just somebody that was genetically gifted with strength, speed, size and an uncanny ability to talk to reporters. Right. Mm -hmm. So now spending a couple hundred thousand US dollars a year on self-care was laughed at years ago. Now that's the norm. Yeah. because people are finally realizing, especially, and I think, you know, I don't want to get into too much of the influence of social media, but we're seeing it now more than ever. It's getting pressed down on our kids and our athletes and our coaches now more than ever. Uh, I know I was just listening to a podcast from coach Nick Saban with Alabama, and they completely revolutionized their strength conditioning staff. And coach Sabin gets on there and talks about like, yeah, these guys have PhDs now, now we're able to look at the analytics, now we're able to apply sports science, right? So yeah. it's, it's a continuous cycle, I think, in a good way of we expect more, they expect more, because it's all ships rise and fall with the tide, and the tide seems to be rising quite a bit now.
0: Yeah, we actually had the, one of their sports psychos on the podcast, and uh, and then he introduced me to the head of performance there, and we started talking about all of the insane numbers of things that they're doing, you know, they're building into like, the athletes carrying things around with them on their day-to-day routine, just to allow you know them to have metrics on not only what's happening on the field where they're doing G- GPS and HRV right. things, but it's 24 hour metrics on blood glucose and all these other guests. Like everyone's literally walking around, with, or at least the visual I have, is everyone's literally walking around with a suitcase and yeah. they're <laughs> attached to and like, you know, they're, they're uh, assessing everything all the time. It's so interesting.
1: Yeah, probably at a school like that, they've probably got somebody carrying it for them, right? But yes. I, I think it's important to notice, I think, you know, like Dr. Matt Ray, I, who's, who's the head of football performance there, uh, who has really streamlined this. I mean, I remember when I was I was at Arizona State close to 15 years ago, and he was a researcher out there, and he had done a lot of work with one of my mentors, Joe Ken, who was with the Carolina Panthers for a number of years. But this idea of like, the the best are getting better, but how much does that now expand the gap from the schools that can't keep up, from the parents that can't afford. Yeah. And for me, I know personally, when I left college coaching full time and started, I opened up a performance center with another couple that specialize in youth performance training and physical therapy and all of these dimensions. Yeah. We didn't have the budget for velocity based trackers, right? So we weren't in the know of GPS and catapult at the time. So then when I got back into coaching, when I went back for my degree, there's a five year gap of information and an experience that felt like this is going to take me light years to get back. And I think that's more than ever, with the information widely accessible and available, coaches and trainers and any health and fitness professionals have to stay on top of that. Because just like computer speed, it will change remarkably if you don't keep up with it.
0: Yeah. And, and then even if you are keeping up with it, you you know, the next thing is coming down the pipeline and I've got like, like a cabinet full of tech behind me here. I'm <laughs> always trying to test out what exists and see what the next level is. And you hear about something new, you got to go get it. And I've probably invested 50 grand in the last 12 months on random tech that I'll probably
1: never use again in my life. Ah, But yeah. but a good tax write-off, right? So right. you're able to apply that accordingly. Right. Uh, I, I, I I love that, Ben, because... Yeah, you're buying the stuff, but it sounds like you're actually, you're, you're taking a deliberate and thoughtful process of actually collecting data and trying the things. I think a lot of times coaches, they get the latest thing, they try it, they're like, oh, this isn't telling me what I wanted it to tell me, right? Or we're not doing due diligence about, hey, are these measurables, right, in the wearable technology, are they valid, are they reliable, or they, do they just really have a great marketing team? and they got some awesome athlete to sign off on it. So right. I think it's important to yeah get those things if, you're, if your budget allows it, but do right. Just like you would ask a client to be honest on their food log, be honest with your assessment of the data. And if you don't know, find the people that do because there are markets for people actually studying this and exploring this because I mean, we're now, where are we now? People can, can scan a phone and it goes right to their doctor and they can they can look at all those, right? The cardiovascular markers and stress yeah. tests can be done there. It's incredible to see how far we've come but where we're going to go
0: yeah it's so interesting and I'm, I'm looking forward to um you know being able to test my own blood on a consistent basis i think that's really interesting uh, opportunity right to see especially as an athlete like what is my body needing right now right and, uh, mm-hmm. almost like uh you know doing a monthly blood test is, is common now but wouldn't it be great to wake up in the morning and pick your finger just like you would do to do your blood glucose and say, hey, you need additional folate today or you need additional magnesium or you know, take this. I mean, that seems like the future and that's pretty interesting stuff. I'm sure we can't be that far away from that.
1: Yeah, I would say where we're going in the discussions that have, have been had at universities or or just even what blood levels can tell us, right? Uh, and that's such a high price barrier. Like I know there, there's great functional medicine doctors out there or just primaries that say, yeah, we, we can roll this in. Um, but again, that's a snapshot, right? So if you're doing that once a month, it's like mm-hmm. exactly right. So it'll be, I think where we see the evolution, it, it'll definitely be more individualized. It'll be more customized. It will be an opportunity for the buckets that were just so naturally, I guess, cognizant of putting people in, right? You're this type of person, or you're that type of person, or you need this type of mobility because your FMS score whatever be, it's going to come down to, yeah, that's great. But that was years ago. What can you tell me exactly what I need to do? How much of it, and how will I be able to get a follow up accordingly?
0: Yeah, kind of going off tangents here, but one of the things that I'm I'm really fascinated in is the idea of substances, um, obviously on the legal end of substances that can shift your physiology in such a way that it can it can change performance. I think we still I think that's the next level of discovery that we're kind of hopefully on the brink on in some levels, right? So maybe like creatine would have been 20 years ago. Uh, maybe longer than that now, but like, so, you know, hey, I tend to be slow twitch. Okay, take this. It's going to be, it's going to encourage that, that tr- that transfer mm-hmm. of, you know, transitional fibers into fast, switch. like stuff like that, I, I have to believe is coming. There's got to be some type of molecular, maybe it's peptides, maybe it's something where like th- there's going to be an opportunity for the people who aren't the elite to become the elite and that's whether or not the, the law ever allows it, but that's interesting um, just like, hey, I want to be a sprinter. Okay, give us five, <laughs> give us five years, right? That that to me is like I'd like to play in that realm.
1: Yeah, so, well, yeah. It's funny you bring that up because I just think of the old movie um, shoot with Whoopi Goldberg and t- I think it was Ted Danson, right? Uh, I forget the name of it, but essentially there was a there was a sperm donor and a, and a child was born, right? So as Crazy as that seems, of like I want to be a sprinter, right? Like to some degree, you know. Not not that we're going to get into uh, you know uh, fertilization clinic here, but (laughs) there there are elements of that happening, right? Look at these attributes and one hundred percent kid I want to have in my life, and we're going to find the best of the best.
0: Yeah, man, you can't tell me that didn't play in when you met your spouse. She was like,
1: (laughs) you know, there's always that in the back of your mind,
0: right? It's always there. I think whether you admit it consciously or not, you're like, yep, this is this is going to work out well for everybody.
1: (laughs) I'm I'm laughing. I may get in trouble. Depends if my my partner listens to this or not. She she probably won't because that's just where we are in our ten years of marriage. But (laughs) I I remember when we first started dating, and you know, she was a Division one soccer player. She's five feet nothing. And, you know, just, I love her. She is who she is. But I remember I was like, I, I think this is, I think she's the one. I, I had a, a boss that was like, look, I'm gonna be honest with you. Like as a coach, like you need to start thinking, like you're thinking volleyball player, Track and field athlete. That's where my head was. You're 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 a big dude. Like if you if you want any shot of a Division one scholarship, like that's what you got to think. So I was like, huh. Well, I I don't think that's going to happen with her. But she played D one soccer, and you know, sure enough, our our eight year olds. got pretty good feet. So I'll leave it at and that.
0: Sometimes <laughs> the brain genetics are, are, you know, what you're after, right? Sometimes yeah. having that, you know, the, the fast processing speeds, I mean, all that stuff is, it's another level, right?
1: Yeah. Well, I'll tell, i tell you what, the, the funny story behind that when we were pregnant with both kids, like high dosing fish oil was like yes. really the rage and we had studied a lot of it at PN and I had done a little work in the NFL and, and talking with other doctors and, you know, it's, anything from, I mean, we know now, right, from inflammation to depression towards concussion management and the injury protocols. And I was kind of charged in that area for a little bit. But I remember when we found out, I'm like, okay, like, you're you're taking four grams of this every day, like, I, I will, we are going the distance. So now it's almost like I have this confirmation bias where, you know, my son comes home, and it's like, he's doing sixth, seventh grade math. And I'm like, yep. That's Same as my well, yeah. <laughs> that's fine. I that's got awesome. her like she'll go on a big she'll remember things. She's like, Oh yeah, I, when I was two and we did this. And I'm like, Yep, that's the fish oil. Impressive. So yeah, we're we're getting there, and obviously we know it's that's that stuff like that's probably not the best idea anymore, but I'm I'm sticking to my guns and it, yeah. it, it was helpful and we're gonna continue I'll on. You, the first thing I did when I found my wife was
0: pregnant was I called Charles Poliquin, And I'm like, Charles, what do I do? <laughs> <laughs> so he literally sends me the protocol. He goes, Here, yeah. man, this is how you create super babies. Literally. Um, and uh, again I think every man has, has at least I think our we want our our children to be able to thrive right yeah and I'm sure we still fight that that battle today anyways we're going on we're going down tangents good tangents but <laughs> let let's come back to helping people uh, stick with their plan I know you're you're really deep into that research and I'm sure you've got some amazing strategies that we can apply both as coaches and as athletes to help um, push
1: forward through those hard times or maybe overcome those psychological barriers? Yeah. So I guess where, where do you want to begin? Because uh, I know one thing that we know as coaches is that this this entire change process is, is very messy. It's very complex. And it's something that is not going to just be hook, line, and sinker. Sure. Like, here we go. So I guess maybe a follow-up on that. Like how how do you want to go? Well,
0: one thing that comes to mind, and this may not exactly be in your realm, um, but it's, I think it's a good jumping off point because it's, it's a PN, you obviously work at PN Mm -hmm. Um, energy. So I, I would believe, or at least I would speculate that a lot of people would, you know, we talk about when people making poor decisions when they're tired or people, um, you know, obviously not having the same level of willpower if they don't have the same energy. Is that something you guys look at in psychology? Because, like, I know for me personally, if I sleep well, my willpower is, is endless. If I, if I am eating well and I'm exercising well and I'm well nourished, my body it just feels like I have enough energy to make good decisions, both in the realm of food and the realm of, of life. Uh, And if I'm ever lacking in energy, if I didn't sleep enough or I didn't eat enough, it it becomes significantly harder, it feels, to make decisions. And that's one thing that I often um, talk to my clients about is, like, if there's ever a a moment in the day or, or a consistent time throughout the week where you're seeing some lulls in energy, Note those because I think that's where you're most likely to follow that up with a bad psychological decision, and then maybe we could support that some way with energy substrate or with mitochondrial support or with whatever. Uh, is that something that you take into account when you're doing psychological research?
1: Yeah, I wow, we could we could really unpack this. This is actually part of our section in our, our recent course on what we call change psychology, but. For a number of years, and honestly, I'll admit it too. Up until recently, I was convinced about that. Right, uh, I, I didn't have enough glucose in my body. Right, because we, we we naturally want to go back to the brain runs on glucose. Right, it's it's preferred source of fuel. When I don't have that decision-making becomes harder. My willpower goes down the toilet. I make a, a irrational decision. And then I'm just kind of sitting there, right. With an empty box of cookies and it's like, what happened? Right. Right. So a lot of that came from, uh, I believe it was in the 1960s about the, the marshmallow tests, right. Where essentially, um, you know, how can we look at, uh, young children? Uh, if I give you, uh, one marshmallow, right here it is. But if you can wait a little bit longer, um, all of a sudden you can have double that, right? Right. And so what they found with, and actually I have some of the the, the processes here, they would track their successes later in life. Uh, The children that were essentially able to wait um, and would get double the amount, they tried to correlate that to saying, okay, because they had more willpower, they tended to do better in life, right? They got better grades, they got better jobs and and money and whatnot. So we learned from that was like this idea of willpower. And I'll I'll go back to the the sugar thing because that, that really took hold of it. Uh, what they found out in like 2018, pretty recently, was that that was not the case. And they were able to debunk that. And a big part about research is, um, can these studies, can these results be replicated? And when you're doing a lot of this research, and this is something we talk about at PN. uh, And actually, I, I guess, Ben, I'll ask you to just break up the conversation a little bit. A lot of the research that you might read, whether it's, you know, let, let's take muscle intelligence, for instance, that, that's going to encompass a lot of different areas. Who are the primary subjects or or participants in these studies that you're reading about? It's typically sedentary people. Yep, sedentary people. Or, or university-age um, athletes. Boom, right? University age athletes who have access to a psychology or an exercise science lab that are between the ages of 18 and 22, that chances are um, have resistance training experience, right? But they're in these conditions that are not what we call in research, like really replicated in the real world. Not real world, sure. Exactly, right? So we look at these things, and even in social science research, right? we're looking at the, these different types of people, it's not going to represent the, the greater good, right? So where I'm going with this is, you know, in this marshmallow test experiment, they're like, okay, uh, if you overdo, if you tax your willpower, right, uh, all of a sudden, you're just, you're going to make a bad decision. And, and what we found out from that by the studies that were debunking that was it really comes down to your appraisal of that situation. And there's another researcher I work with, uh, soon to be Dr. Karn Norden, and she studies a lot of this with health behavior communication at PM. And she would, she talks about her situation, not entirely my story to tell, so I'll try and summarize it. But you would hit that two o'clock and you're like, oh, like I did all my cognitive draining tasks in the morning, right? We're, we're very much on productivity, right? When I'm fresh and I want to get my deep work done. And then once I hit that two o'clock or the second half of the day, like I'm used up, I've used up all my willpower. And then it's like, I need this to, to get me better. And what we found out that from psychology aspect it really does become down to our interpretation of that. If we tell ourselves that I become more stimulated, I become more energetic, I use these situations to actually feed into my ability to believe that I'm doing better, like these micro doses of of goals and challenges, that's going to elicit the response that is positive. However, if I choose to believe it perpetuates the cycle of like, well, I'm all tapped out, right? I can't make any decisions. Decision fatigue is another one, right? We, we come across it. And I was guilty of it. I was like, oh, I'm back in school. I'm working full time. I'm going to buy five black t-shirts from Amazon. I'm going to buy two pairs of pants. It's the same thing, right? Like, former presidents only wore blue or black suits for that reason. So I, I won't comment on that. I think everybody's individualized to that. But what we found out was that willpower Um, isn't the only thing responsible for success. Now, where that led to was this idea of ego depletion, right? And so researchers, I think it was Baumeister in in the 1980s had talked about your brain runs out of glucose. You're going to make these bad decisions, right? Glucose is the be all end all. And they were testing this with a variety of subjects and populations. And again, he had concluded that uh, this is going to be an issue. But again, Science, as, as we say at PN, science is going to science and it's going to continue to evolve. And we found out that that simply wasn't the case. Those results could not be replicated. So where, where I go with all of that is it's important to understand that if you're a person that feels food is the thing, right? Like if I don't continue to snack, right? If I don't have that afternoon snack, I'm going to go off the rails or I'm not going to be as productive. We talk about, like you said earlier, taking note of that. And actually being mindful of what's happening before that, during that, and after the fact. And then try doing the opposite. So we're we're very much like we want to be practically focused here, but we call it it the do it the opposite experiment is if you're always doing that, then what would be the exact opposite of that? And then take note of that. But then you've got to collect the data. It's important to go through that process because you're going to naturally believe what you want to believe. If it, if it serves you in that capacity, it's going to reaffirm what you want to believe. Like we have that natural bias to do that. It's important to actually test against the grain and see what happens. So we know that that ego depletion with sugar and glucose isn't necessarily a thing. However, that's not to say that's not a thing for you. That's not to say that you do better when you have uh, X amount of calories at a certain period of time before another task. That could be psychologically also from a sports psych perspective, that could just be part of your natural routine that now becomes a trigger or an activating event for what you think is going to help you behave better, whether that's being more productive, whether that's getting a a pump in the gym, whatever the case may be. So it's important to kind of go through that process, challenge those assumptions, but also know that the, the human body and the human mind is incredibly adaptable, incredibly resilient. And you can actually shape your path more so than what we we say are just, well, that's just how it is. That's how physiology works. Like it's amazing what you can accomplish. And I think a lot of that has has surfaced, right? With with developments with like metabolic flexibility and the ability to switch from from carbs to fats and vice versa. When you're put in situations that require the utmost dedication and like the upper limits of your your mental and physical performance, a lot can happen there.
0: How much have you looked at people who um I self-identify as not wanting to set goals. So that's, that's, a, that's a obstacle that I've run into from time to time. Is like um, people just like, oh, I don't want to set goals. And that's kind of interesting to me. And, and I'm very curious um, from a clinical standpoint, if you've run into people like that, I have my speculations as to why they make those decisions and then maybe how to help them um, start moving back in the direction of some objective behaviors.
1: Yeah. I, so short answer is yes. I've seen that. I've seen that not only from the athlete perspective, but also working with other coaches. In my latest research, I had found that I had surveyed almost 400 strength conditioning coaches in, in primarily the United States, but a, a few countries elsewhere. The The top three tactics or strategies psychologically and skills that they're using is they're doing goal setting, They're using motivational techniques and and strategies and they're helping build self-confidence. So I unpack the the goal setting piece, right? Because as coaches, we're often like, well, yeah, that makes sense, right? You're doing four sets of five this week. Next week, I want you to do four sets of five with more weight. That's a goal. It could be as simple as that. Or it could be actually, let's take some time then and let's sit down, right? What is your outcome goal? And how can we reverse engineer that accordingly? And what I found in my own interviews was that coaches were not, using the goal setting piece, they were not instituting frameworks, whether that's smart goals, whether that's the grow model, whether that's the whoop model, Uh, we use what we call the GSPA model here at Precision Nutrition, breaking down goals into skills, practices, and actions, whatever the case may be. Coaches were like, I'm all set with that, because that's just another stressor. That's another thing that my athlete or my client or that I have to worry about. And how am I going to coach that person when they don't reach their goal? Right, I just want them to do X, or I just want them to accomplish Y. But the fact of the matter is, is they have so much going on already. What am I supposed to do? Do I have the skills to properly coach that with them? And so back to the original question, why are people not setting goals? I think, and I'm curious to hear your perspective on this, it could be a variety of things. Number one, they have done it incorrectly for so long over time that that repeated exposure again, just is a trigger for disappointment. It's a trigger for failure, and it's a trigger for reminding them that they are broken, and they are not okay, and they'll never amount. I'm taking extremes here, so (laughs) please don't take this out of context, Mm -hmm. but they'll never amount to anything, right? They'll never be that person that that close individual, that that spouse, that that coach told them, wished upon them that they wanted to be. On a smaller scale, it's just a constant reminder of like, well, here's another thing that I suck at. Here's another thing that I'm not going to achieve. Why go through that again? Right? Why put myself through this unenjoyable time, this added stressor of what I have to do because I, I know how I respond, right? I don't do well with that. Secondly, why do people not engage in that is I truly believe in my own experiences as a coach and, and who we've worked with and who we're writing to at PN, they don't have the the skills and the practices and the actions to actually accomplish those goals they have this misconstrued notion of like, I'm going to achieve X and that's it. They don't take the actual time. And by say they, I mean the individuals themselves, but also the coaches, they're not outfitting them with the right tools. It's kind of like dropping your, uh, we tried Boy Scouts when we first moved to Massachusetts and it was like, yeah, here you go. You're going, going for, you know, camp out in the middle of the woods. Like they didn't leave us there, but it was like, yeah, like figure it out, right? It was kind of like one of those things, like just dropping in the middle of nowhere, If it's important to you, you'll figure it out, right? So I think that's an element there is that we're not actually teaching them how to work through that. And we're not celebrating. This is my third piece, and I want to give it back to you. We are not actually actively, relentlessly calling out the positives through that entire process. And so I I remember doing some research for one of the latest courses, and we naturally as coaches become what's called like a, a detective for deficits, We naturally aim to correct, to coach, to criticize because it's like, well, that's what they're paying us for, right? You're doing this wrong, or hey, I'd like you to sit back a little bit more, or brace down hard, or let's up your fat intake 10%, right? It's in our it's in our DNA to help them get better, but yet we need to be a seeker of strengths, and naturally we don't do that as coaches because I don't know, is it? i'm just finding something to be positive about even though it stinks or it's not very ideal or yeah well i'm overshadowed by all the other stuff that's happening right that negativity dominance that we explored earlier right. so that last that last piece for me is are we truly involving them in the process and supporting them and my research was was really geared around self efficacy or situational specific confidence about a situation and their abilities to accomplish that task that would lead to an outcome. And if we're not relentlessly calling that out through verbal persuasion and feedback, and we're not putting them in situations where they actually have an accomplishment, it's no wonder that they don't want to go through that goal process because they're not realizing that all that goal is, is simply a conglomeration of all the micro goals and steps and achievements along the way. Yeah. That's what I was going to say
0: is the reality, whether or not you think you're achieving goals, you are just may not be the ones that you've consciously set out for yourself um, so super interesting um, thing you said there about why a lot of coaches aren't reinforcing the positive. And if you think about that, my logic would say, what are most coaches? They're very critically analytical people, just inherently that makes a good coach. Someone who's going to have a really critical eye, that's their gift. And if they don't train themselves consciously to, you know, go out and, and celebrate the small wins, uh, it's very, I know I, that's why I was succeeded in bodybuilding. I was the most critical person on the planet for to myself um and so i had to physically learn i'm still physically learning to celebrate wins whether it be for me my athletes or even my family Um, i have to be super conscious of like not going okay well now what's next okay now go after the next milestone you have to be aware of it because that's built into my dna of like hey man you know yeah you crushed this kid but you got to go on to the next one because you could do even better if you did that one but it could have been this this little little thing better and that's, I think, I mean, you could correct me if I'm wrong, what what makes a great coach, right? I think, right? And then and then also becoming conscious of, well, now I want to reinforce the positive.
1: Yeah. I, I love how you bring that up and you actually admit to that because I'm the same way, naturally, right? It's you talked about earlier what, what problem are you trying to solve, Adam? I think this is like problem number two is how do you change the narrative? for somebody that is involved in high performance like yourself with training or myself with coaching and, and working at various levels where it has been ingrained in that good enough is not good enough. And the reality in the landscape, in the bigger picture, playing the long game here, I will take the athlete, the client that shows up and gives B, B plus effort every single day than the person that shows up once or twice a week and gives A plus effort. However, changing that narrative from the top down. And and I see it on a day-to-day basis. How do you have that switch in mindset? How do you flip that narrative where it's like, guess what? Okay, you weren't as deep as I wanted you on the squats or your RPE, you didn't match it. I think you had a couple reps left in the tank, right? We pick and we pick and we pick because we're like, we want you to be the, the best that you can become. And then actually saying, you know what? You're still showing up. Like you haven't missed a session, you're actually, regardless of how sore you are, you still kept doing the work. And so it's that old axiom of like chopping wood and carrying water, and eventually the forest will be cut down and the and the lake will be empty. That is a that is a challenge that I see in sport coaching. That I see when you're looking at you know Insta, Insta famous and you're you're they're posing. And you probably I'm I'm guessing you see this a lot more than I do because I'm not there in that space, but you're looking for all the things that aren't to the ideal. Well, for us, when are we going to redefine the ideal? When are we going to redefine the optimal? When are we going to redefine the sustainable in the in the long run of things? And I think that's a, that's a paradigm I'd like to see change in coaching for the long haul.
0: Yeah. And uh, so that's where it comes back to goals for me. And I, I talk about this all the time, this idea of objective versus subjective living. So if I'm an athlete, and you said something there that I just want to kind of come back on a bit, but Um, you know, either somebody showing up and giving a plus efforts or showing up and giving, you know, B plus efforts consistently. I don't think it needs to be that black and white. And and Mm -hmm. here's why I think if you give me a goal, if you give me an objective and my objective is to just come every day and hit that objective, I have targets, I have objective measures that I'm, that I'm showing up and doing the best I possibly can toward those measures. Right. I think where people run into, um, psychological challenges is when there's uh subjective living you are like you just kind of show up and give your best and there's no measurement of it right you guys you talk about this too like there, there has to be some means of knowing that i can celebrate even these little incremental wins even if i don't consciously celebrate them the fact that i do them my unconscious mind knows that hey you hit those objectives every single day that's why I think like to, to be a successful human, there has to be goals. If people don't wanna set long-term goals, I mean, you get this, you set, inc- you set micro tiny habits, right? It's like daily habits, that's your goal. And then those are your objectives you're hitting those targets every day. And that I think allows you to work toward being the best version of yourself, regardless of what your uh, your area of uh, expertise is.
1: Yeah, and I, I love how you frame that because that's exactly what, what we're doing is we're flipping the script on what defines success. Naturally, I want to say, okay, I want to get to this outcome, whether that's, I want to get stage ready, or I want to get a grip on my relationship with food, or I want to weigh X amount of pounds or kilograms. The fact of the matter is, is that, yes, we do need for many of us that objective rating, that percentage, that metric KPI, whatever we want to call it of did I win the day, right? In coaching, it's like, oh, yeah, go out there, crush the day, right? Win, win the day, win the moment. Well, how do you define success? So as a coach, it's it's getting back to them. And, and, and that that takes some conversations, right? That Especially at the beginning of a coaching relationship. How do you know if, if you did the thing? What is the thing you need to do before you try the next thing? For me personally, like I'm working with a coach right now where – I look at my month and I'm going to, yes, I have some longer term goals. A lot of things are changing right now at the time of the recording. But what are, what are the things I want to track on a daily basis? And for me, it is simple as, all right, I just got a new puppy. It's getting colder out. One of those tick marks is going to be, did I walk the dog? Simple thing, right? It's simple. Uh, it doesn't mean it's easy to do, right? Did I break a sweat? Ideally, I'd like to train as much as I can, but if I can't, right, and this is where I love how you brought up the whole, it's either this or that. If I say, did I get my workout in, that could be too much for somebody that's juggling a lot. So, well, I didn't get my workout in, but I broke a sweat. So maybe I got on the treadmill and I hit it to 6% incline at eight miles per hour and I broke it. Okay. Did I get my water intake X amount of ounces, whatever it is. So at the end of the week, I can say, all right, my goal is whatever, 85% consistency throughout the week. I now have five or six little daily actions that i'm focusing on every day to hit i can miss that Oops! i forgot the floss on monday because i fell asleep watching netflix all right that's not going to derail me because if i still hit it for the rest of the days i'm good but at the end of the day those are all just little ladders in, in sports psych we talk about goal laddering like what's the next step once i master those fundamental behaviors and practices how do i carry that to the next one accordingly so you know, from one coach to another, I appreciate how you do. You 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 blend the yes, yeah, subjectivity is important, but you also need what is that win column look like for you? And for a lot of clients, it's not going to be an external score on the scoreboard, but it's going to be able to say what is the inner game versus the outer game, but how am I keeping score accordingly?
0: Talking to my my coaching clients this weekend, um, and actually love your perspective on this goal setting is is obviously Huge topic. And some people, quote, unquote, do it well, and others don't do it well. Some succeed, others don't. Sometimes that becomes a character trait. Um, I started going down the path of discussing the my perceived um, necessity behind um, paralleling your goals and your values. Oh, so- yeah. Yeah, so I'd love to have you talk on that because it, it seems like a lot of people are setting goals that are not in alignment with their values. I've done it myself in the past, and, I, and and honestly, that's why I retired from professional bodybuilding. You can't have a goal to be professional or to be the best bodybuilder in the world and, in my eyes, still be at home as a present mm-hmm. dad, and, and it just doesn't work. So right there, boom, goals and values don't align, I'm out. So I'd love to have you talk on how much you look at that, how much you encourage people to
1: explore their values in the process of goal setting. Well, buckle up, Ben. So Here we go. There There we go. go. This is problem number three that you're going to solve, (laughs) right? For any of us, and you've seen this with your coaching clients, one of the earliest things I learned as as I grew up, there's a little bit of a paradox there, but one of the most profound things, right? The coach tells you something and you just remember that forever. Was when we say yes to something, we have to remember that we're saying no to something or someone else. That in itself helps you clarify your values, understand your priorities. And both of those are going to lead back to what we call our identity. Right. We have done a lot of work with our clients. We have done a lot of uh, introspection with our own coaching. Authors like James Clear have done a really nice job, I think, taking the science and distilling it down into Terms and stories of just an an opportunity for people to understand that if you are acting in congruence with your values, ideally, those values are tied to the person you want to become. And, And we talk about that a lot in our recent course about instead of trying to be somebody that is going to do something. So it's important to me that I go and work out. Versus the person that like I'm a person that works out simply by reshifting and reframing the language You start to become that person that becomes a big part of you What I've seen I'll, I'll take a slight tangent here before I go back into values priorities Is when working with athletes we prioritize that one identity so much that when that is removed from our Lifestyle aka I'm not an athlete anymore in college or I stop bodybuilding We fail to put other identities on the burner right? So I think James talks a lot about this, about the four burners theory, right? So if you're a a father, if you're a bodybuilder, if you're a coach, you know, you've got three things on, and maybe you're a, a husband as well. You've got all these things on the burner. If you keep one identity on the highest burner, rapid boil, high heat for too long, and then that gets shut off and you haven't been controlling the heat or adding enough heat in those other burners, Eventually something's going to happen and it's not going to be in your advantage. So it's important that, Hey, there are going to be areas as a coach. I understand I operate in seasons. Okay. I know when it's, I never say it's an off season. You're either in it or you're on it, right? You're always working on it. Are there periods of recovery and structured reloads? Absolutely. Right. But life operates in seasons. There are going to be times when certain aspects of your identity are going to be really ratcheted up, okay? For three and a half years, my identity as a PhD student, that was on high heat. But then I took it down during the summer when I didn't have as many classes, right? The, the father, the the husband, those are always going to be medium to medium high. And when there was no school or work, it was ultra blast. Here we go, right? Where you go with that is by clarifying that identity, right? What type of person are you? Uh, I, I use an exercise with my clients of if that would go away, right? If something would happen, you would get hurt, you would get divorced, something that would would pull you away from that, could you still be that person? And so I challenge clients to be like, well, I'm a bodybuilder. Well, that, that could be an identity, but that's more of a role, right? Who are you on, on the inside? And if you couldn't bodybuild anymore, let's say it was an injury. Who are you on on the inner level? And so like when I was doing my website years ago and I I got teased about it from our current staff at the college, it's like, oh, there's Adam Fight, right? There's mentor, there's a teacher, there's coach, like there he is. You know, I'm not saying like I'm this person and I'm host of this podcast because I was like, at the end of the day, I can still be a mentor. I can still be a coach. I can still be a teacher. I can direct the narrative on where that happens. So by understanding the identity or the roles that we play, that is going to drive what we ultimately value. What we value is ultimately going to be underneath who we associate ourselves as. And that then distills down into, well, what am I going to prioritize? So if I value deep health, if I value mindful time with my family, then I am going to prioritize insert A, B, C, X, Y, Z daily actions to align with that. Now, you brought it up earlier, right? If once those values or those priorities were incongruent, they were not in alignment with what I valued and who I was, that's when you know this isn't working. And unfortunately, and and I agree with you, is that we don't don't take them through that process a lot, in general as an industry, right? I have a goal, great. You wanna get to X percent body fat or you wanna accomplish Y outcome, awesome. But are you actually taking the time to say, well, when you're saying yes to this journey, Are you prepared to say no? And that's my biggest pet peeve with goal setting and how it's universally practiced. We understand the wish. We understand the outcome. We are not taking enough time to explore the obstacles in their way and giving them the action plan to work through that. And simple things like if-then statements or when-then formulas where if I have to cut my calories again, then I have to do something else or when I have to increase my training time longer than I have to compensate by doing something else. We're not evaluating the if-thens and when-thens. We're just saying, figure it out, right? Or I, you know, I've used macros approaches before. All of a sudden, it's like, all right, well, now your macros get cut. Well, what's my plan to deal with the hunger pangs, right? What's my plan on when I'm on the road with my kids and I, I didn't bring a cooler or I can't book a hotel room next to a grocery store? In general, in coaching, we have to help them develop those action plans and to work through those scenarios because nothing ever goes the way it's planned. So I'll pause there because there's a lot of head nodding and and eyes battering. The the values piece is so important because that's going to tie into the things that we prioritize. And all that is going to be wrapped up into who I am and the roles I serve And if we don't ask the right questions and if we don't get them to think about, hey, that's great. I'm really, this is an awesome goal. But if we don't actually take the time to explore the other edge of the coin and what it means and what they're going to have to give up or what they're going to have to start doing more, you're you're naturally destined for failure. And that's what starts, again, the cycle of like, well, I tried all that. That was too hard. I don't know if it was too hard. I just don't think you were ready for it because you didn't front load your preparation long enough. That's awesome. So it kind of of comes
0: back full circle to where we started is this idea of that initial conversation with clients and just letting them know like, hey, I love that framing. It's like, hey, you're choosing this. Do you realize by choosing this, you're also intentionally choosing to do not do all of these other things and cause I think people aren't always aware of that. Like, Hey, by choosing to get in shape, you're not going to have the same social eating schedule. You're probably not going to be able to do the social drinking. You're probably not going to be able to do the dessert rooms with your family or whatever. Like, are you okay giving all those up? Or, you know, are you okay sacrificing them a little, you know, maybe doing them a little less often
1: than um, otherwise you would. So. Yeah. And Ben, if I want to add something there too, I think it's, really cool. And it's important that when clients come to you with this outlandish challenge or opportunity to like test their mental fortitude, right? I I think naturally we're kind of like, oh yeah, well, whatever, you know, good luck with that. I actually encourage that because that's part of like the experimenting process. And, And I'll give an example, right? I did something, I was, it was beginning of July. Quarantine was, was kind of like, I wouldn't say getting the best of me. It definitely saw the worst of me, but I found myself in a negative mindset of like, wow, this, this is hard. This is not as hard as other people are going through. I I'm I'm consciously aware of that, but I'm having, I'm having a hard time coping with a lot of the things that are happening. So I decided to go all in. I went all in on a challenge that required me to work out a lot more than I was to drink a lot more water than I already was to eat better than I already was, to read more than I, all of these things. And I did it. I was better because of it. But at the end of it, I remember having a conversation with my wife and she said, yeah, uh, we there were a lot of things that you didn't do because you were doing those things. And right away, that's why I was like, okay, yeah, this isn't going to happen again because this wasn't sustainable. But I always, I always encourage clients to I might say I'm, I want them to be a, a diet hopper, right? Like, oh, I read about this, right? Is it is it keto? Is it carnivore? Is it fasting? Is it low carb? Is it high carb? Is it carb cycling? I'm not one to be like, oh yeah, absolutely, right? But I am going to be like, hey, try it out if, if you're generally interested in it because I want them to have that firsthand experience of almost, yeah, that's that's not going to work for me. And then you get back to something more manageable and meaningful. So to wrap all that up in terms of like, where we're going and and what we need to do it's important to acknowledge that process in the beginning and what 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 is what seems important to you for you to try this or where have you succeeded already in something similar or what are some of the obstacles that you foresee happening and how will you work through that accordingly taking the time on the front end is going to take a lot of things off on the back end to help you move them closer to their goals Awesome, man. Did we cover all the things you wanted to cover as far as um, the current research? You said you you had just wrapped up because I don't want to leave that off. Yeah, no, I, th- I think we're we're in good shape, right? We could, awesome. we, could do, we could always do part two. I've got not not much going on over the holiday. Man,
0: that was <laughs> man, that was so great. I think so much value, and it actually made me incredibly curious about this new PN curriculum in the academy that you guys are coming out with. I know that wasn't really the plan of, of our conversation to get into that, but. Um, I'm actually very curious as to what that looks like. Is that launched already?
1: Uh, It has launched. I believe that there there might be a a new date coming up. Right now it's only available to current students uh, in our level one certification or our level two program and graduates. So I will, uh, I'll do some digging there, see what we can accomplish. But I guess if anything, before we go on to, to any next segment or if we're wrapping up is a major take home message for people is to, understand that change is a is a messy it's a complex and it's an ever-evolving process and what seems doable what seems easy to do in one moment can be completely flipped on its head in the next moment and as a coach by taking what we call a a biopsychosocial perspective and actually i'm going to look at this from the lens of the self what is it like for them to feel and go through this as a person Then step away to the sideline and view it from what are all the other interacting elements that are are causing this change to be so difficult, maybe why they are so resistant to change, and then actually getting up in the stands. And I'm using sport analogies for a reason because each perspective gives you a a different view on the situation. Oftentimes we get so wrapped up into, well, I did it this way, or I made it work, or I worked with another client, and this is what we did now more than ever in this pandemic we're really realizing there are so many other threads at play here by taking the time and taking the space to actually be a little bit more mindful and non judgmental of their situation man you're going to have a client for life because they're going to see you for understanding their entire situation not just the one they originally hired you to help them with yeah
0: so much value so the, the academy
1: itself is is being built to help coaches understand behavior change There's actually, that's just one appendage of an appendage. So our our PN Academy was essentially built and designed to continue to deliver evidence-based research and practical coaching experience for for coaches that had this insatiable desire for deeper topics, right? So very proud, you know, at at PN, we're, we're the world's largest online coaching certification education and software company, right? But- What happens when you get that certificate? What happens when you get that? Okay, let's talk about back to goal setting, right? You've achieved the outcome, now what? And so the idea about the PN Academy is how can we deliver research on a continuous basis? How can we provide curriculum? And how can we deliver education that is gonna be truly meaningful for our students and graduates? So yes, behavior psychology, change psychology, helping people understand the process of change, that's one avenue you can go. We've also got an advanced metabolism course right now. We've also got opportunities to explore, you know, getting a certificate in dietary strategies. So we're doing a deep dive in intermittent fasting. We're doing a deep dive in plant-based eating. We're doing a deep dive in how to understand macros and what that might mean for your client. And in the course of 2021, more courses and more rabbit holes are going to be dug out so that if you've got a thing or a niche and you want to learn more about it, you're not just destined to just, well, this is what I read on the internet. You have experts, you have PhDs, you have MDs, you have RDs all going through this accordingly to give you the very best information at your fingertips. Very cool. Bodybuilding diets. I'm not sure if you're doing that
0: already, but do that because the world, the world needs help.
1: Yeah. And, and there's, some, there's some great people doing some great things. And I know at, at PN, we are not afraid to align ourselves and collaborate with the people in the trenches and doing the work that understand it from all the different perspectives. So yeah. I will take that up the chain to uh, Dr. Krista and see where uh, that may fit in the, the greater good of the the ecosystem at PM. Yeah.
0: Thanks, man. Man, that was, Adam, that was fantastic. I really appreciate it. I know you're a busy man and I'm truly
1: grateful for you giving us your time today. Ben, it goes right back to, you. I wish you the best and I look forward to continuing to follow you and your career and what happens as we move forward. So thanks again. That's a wrap, ladies and gents. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening all the way through. If you're not already subscribed,
0: you can do that on Spotify. You can do that on iTunes and everywhere else where podcasts are listened to. Our podcast is exclusively focused on doing our best to lift you up and uh, create an amazing community of people who ultimately are strong living in their power and aspiring to raise the consciousness of humanity and that's a big piece of my message now and the future is realizing that true fulfillment comes from living in alignment with your soul's purpose and that may sound esoteric to a lot of you people but um, when you find it you'll know and uh, if you don't know you're not there yet keep looking and sometimes the light um, that exists inside of you can be masked with armor, right? Totally Take it from me, the guy who built 300 pounds of armor um, to protect himself from the emotions that he was unfamiliar with or didn't explore. And as soon as you start to allow yourself to express those emotions without judgment of yourself and just express how you feel, that becomes your guiding light to get attached or attachment or, or connected, let's say is a better word, to your soul. Um, Anyways, everyone, hope you enjoy the podcast with Adam Fight. Today's podcast is brought to you by Bioptimizers, B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S. Bioptimizers.com. Use the code Muscle Ten to get hooked up with the entire line, which I suggest everyone check out, and at very least go pick up the Masszymes and the Mag Breakthrough because those two products are a staple in my vitamin cabinet. Have an amazing day. Live your greatest life in a body that you absolutely love, be back out. Thank you so much for tuning into Muscle Intelligence. If you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to share it with at least one person you know. Make sure you're subscribed so you never miss an episode.